Good afternoon, everybody. Uneducated economist here. I got the Mr. Lumberjack landlord with me today. <laughs> Matthew, thank you so much. I guess you have some really good information you wanted to share with us, and uh, I'm excited to hear what you have going on. So uh, why don't you go ahead and take it away? My man, as always, it's such a pleasure to be here and hanging out with you and your amazing community. Um, I was just running some numbers because I had had a couple conversations with my bank, not on my residential loans, but on some of my commercial loans. And so now banks are looking pretty closely. If they're looking at me, I'm not that big from a commercial loan perspective. I'm pretty small. Don't have, I don't have tens of millions of dollars of exposure on the commercial side. And so it was an interesting conversation because I just said to them, I said, hey, so because I've got nothing better to do, I'm looking at my loan docs. And the loan docs talk about this concept of a 1.2 coverage rate. So for those people that aren't familiar with the 1.2 coverage rate, it's basically, let's say your mortgage is a thousand bucks, then they expect you're going to have 1.2 of that, i.e. 1200 bucks. They're going to expect that you have $1,200 at least of earnings. They want to make sure that you've got basically enough to cover the mortgage and take up and take care of anything that might come up as it goes. So because you are the dominator of debt, because you know exactly, you know, all about MBSs and CDOs and what's behind this thing and then these bespoke tranches, all these fun, fancy words that everybody has, I wanted to run past you some of the numbers that I'm uncovering. And what I thought was really interesting was, I think a lot of people aren't really paying attention to what Elon Musk has done with the corporate headquarters of Twitter. He's basically told the landlords there, I'm not paying you rent. We're renegotiating a lease. Okay. And so what's interesting about that is that they have about $400 million of debt on the property. And the challenge becomes when it's publicly known now that your tenant has announced he's not paying your debt or he's not paying debt on the property. I actually found out that they're in the midst of a, a refinance. Huh. That can be a little bit of a dicey situation when the bank knows that your biggest, uh, basically your biggest tenant has made it publicly known that he's not paying you right now. Right. So this can cascade from a commercial perspective to, and it's a process. Like you have to send notices and then you have to start the eviction process. Like it's a multi-month process. I looked everywhere on the planet to find out what they're actually paying per month on just their San Francisco corporate headquarters. Couldn't find it anywhere, but I can tell you that because of this 1.2 uh, percent or this 1.2 debt covenant coverage, mm -hmm. it's going to make it really hard because most of those people only make 10% or so on the property. So even one month, you're the next month, you're probably not going to cover your debt. So one of the things I wanted to kind of run past you numbers wise was there's a bunch of debt reset now that's getting positioned in 2023 to happen. Right. I looked at most of my debt that I took out three years ago. I don't sign up for three-year debt. I sign up for five and seven-year debt. But many large organizations, when they saw how cheap debt was, they signed up for the cheap stuff. And the cheap stuff is done on the shortest term at that time, three years ago. So you could get debt at about 3.5%. So you can get debt at 3.5%. Typically, the way that anybody would structure a commercial property is they would say, "I'm my debt cost is 3.5%. That means that my mortgage in this particular case, I took a $400 million building because that's how much some of these larger multifamilies, or excuse me, $40 million building, not even a $400 million building, just a $40 million building. That's the typical cost of some of these larger multifamilies. 
So your typical debt on that at the 3.5%, the way that commercial debt is amortized, it's amortized over 25 years, but there is this three-year concept, the three-year adjusted, which means after three years, they adjust the rate to whatever their adjustment is, which might be prime plus, it might be prime, it might be current rate, could be any number of those things. So here's a typical example though. That debt three years ago, that building was bought for, you know, let's say $400 million. They then bought that building for 400 million. They owe $287 million on that building, but so, excuse me, they owe, uh, they, so a $40 million loan, my apologies, $40 million loan, their monthly mortgage payment is $287,000 on a four, on a $40 million loan. It's 287. If they're following the typical standard, if they're following the typical standard of I make 10% on my money, they're going to make about 30,000 bucks after expenses on the property, but they're going to be somewhere in the low three hundreds as far as what they're going to do for debt. Here's where it gets really dicey. When they do that reset, current rates show that for most banks, that reset is going to be at seven. Which means that they're going to take it. Right. Means they're going to take all the profit. Yeah. It, 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 here's the scary thing. It does way more than that. That right. same building at that same building at 40 million, that was 287 a month that was doing, you know, 300 and something, you know, 300 and something thousand dollars a month in, in income. Now that payment at 7% goes to 370. Wow. And that's only with a debt reset. Right. And so now in turn, this eventually starts going into rents and everything else that goes out there, it, you know, and this is, and this is something that like, you know, I mean, I didn't really think about like how this is going to impact going into this kind of into this part of the economy. You know, when I was looking at like the debt financing that was taking place from the corporations, I just kind of saw that happening as kind of like a, a kind of a backdoor way of like getting yeah. cash into these corporations. But now that you tell this story, it sounds like to me, like it was like, as I put these pieces together, it sounds to me like this is pushed into a corner really yes. with yeah. these higher interest rates and wow. So like, if I'm hearing this right, so basically when they go to refinance in order to make the loans profitable for them, again, they're going to have to increase the rents or bail out on the whole thing together. Right. Just well, and so, yeah, so that's where, so the bank has something that they can, that they actually can do is you are in default if you don't hit that 1.2 global number. Okay. So if it, they can, they can put you in default by their contract. So even if you, even if you're still somewhat profitable in the loan, if, because you don't make that 1.2. Correct. It's, it's not considered a, it's, it's a default. default. Mm -hmm. Wow. So it's not even it's not even like a real default. It's just technically because of the, the way Technical they have default. these. That's right. Wow. Yep. Okay. So if they don't, so as an example, right? If they don't like you, if they think that your building is now worth $800 million, let's say, or instead of 40, it's worth 80, right? So let's say instead of 40, it's now worth 80. The problem is, is that with that debt, what's it really going to sell for? You're going to probably have to lower your price because it's going to come down to what rents are. Likely they've been raising rents over the last three years. 
if it's a, a large multifamily, but if it's office space, have they been raising the rent the last three years? Right. Can yeah. they? No. Who's going to pay more money to stay in a building that's only 30% occupied? Right. Like if their lease is coming due, what are they doing? They're negotiating their lease, just like our buddy Elon is. And I don't mean our buddy because we don't know him, but they're negotiating their debt like Elon is. But the crazy thing is, is now the number is 370 a month just to get to the 1.2 coverage. It's got to be $444,000 a month. Oh, whoa. <laughs> so that explodes like over a hundred thousand bucks a month. Now, maybe they've been raising the rents over the last three years, but this is the debt explosion just by the changing of rates. That's why it's really funny when I see real estate agents talk about the fact that, you know, well, you know, really pricing is correlated to rates. No, duh. <laughs> like, of course it is. It has to be because that's your cost of money, you know? And so when these larger organizations are looking at these buildings, there's going to be a lot of people in trouble that had either short-term debt, um, like one-year debt, or maybe they had three-year debt, but like one-year bridge debt, which was like, hey, I need to finish this, do value add to get to my next loan. That type of debt is really kind of dried up in the market. And I'm not a big player in that space. I'm a pretty small player in that space, in all honesty. Um, but if I look at that number and I'm like, wow, that could be a problem. Mine yeah. has a lot less zeros on it, you know? And so of something that size. So I just thought it was interesting. I know that you're always trying to kind of like get ahead of the next thing. And so in the interest of helping you try and get ahead on the next thing, I think you might want to start looking at some of these commercial loans because I think no one understands how big that market is. That market will do about $780 billion this year. Jeez. Wow. And and outstanding, there's about $4.3 trillion in commercial and multifamily debt. And about 40% of that is owned by the big banks. Incredible. Yeah, this is this is pretty interesting to think about, like what this can actually do. This um, is basically like this three-year period, right? I mean, yeah. that, that it happens in this. A lot of this took place in 2020. So right. 2023 is our, our, is the end of the line. Like, I mean, it really yeah. just can't go any part of the past that. I mean, we might get a little bit as, you know, some of this stuff might've happened in, you know, 2020 and then 2021 or however right. we go out there. Yep. But really the, the issues begin in 2023. They really do. I think so. Um, because I think that that's a lot of your shorter term debt, the three-year stuff. Right. There's a lot of people who have a model of buying a property because the numbers work and they're awesome, but they buy it with cheap debt. And right. so like Ben Mala, who's on YouTube, he's a big cheap debt guy. And now he is in, he's literally visibly shaken by the fact that his rates are up four and 5%, you know, four and 500 basis points on some of his properties. Right. Because this is, I mean, because the idea that he would be able to roll over into new debt or use the idea of having the cheap debt continuously into the future correct right and then you find yourself caught in a spot where it's just no longer available for you and the profits are not there any longer man this is pretty incredible it makes me think like what is going to happen to the rents i mean you know is it the investors who are going to get out because they like can't roll that over you know and be profitable and then they have to bail out of the whole thing or do they do it and then raise the rents you know and raise the you know the way and that's 
it's probably the way it's going to end up going. I mean, I can just, I mean, it just appears to be that way, you know, when I look out there, um, you know, I mean, there could be, I mean, I, cause I think like when it comes to commercial properties, a lot of times when I think commercial properties, I don't necessarily think about residentials. I think like warehouses and stuff. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, and I, and I, I already had kind of like this idea that there was going to be a crashing in the warehouse industry, just from the fact that, you know, we had all this supply and demand issues and they were trying to come up with better localized inventories. And so they were, you know, building these warehouses to stock up on the stuff. The only problem with that is, is that when you have just in time delivery and when that starts to free up is by far the most efficient and it's going to make these warehouses expensive and they're going to, you know, all the investment going into warehouses is going to end up crashing. And, or at least this is my assumptions on it. It just, I don't know if that's going to actually bleed into the residential and drag it down with it or part of it, but I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting to see, like no one knows the answer, right? But this is what we sit around pontificating on just because it's like, I, I, I have to have some sort of a theory because I have to be doing something with my money and how I'm investing it. That's why I've remained investing in 30 year fixed rate debt. Because if the numbers work, when the mortgage is at 3%, 4%, 5%, 7 I've done a deal at seven and a quarter. The mm-hmm. numbers worked really well at seven and a quarter. So it just was an easy deal to quote unquote underwrite and say, this is a deal worth doing because I get my returns, even though my mortgage is going to be 7%. And the big thing that you hear a lot, because certainly I'm, I'm active in your live streams and watching what people say. So it's really interesting because the idea is, hey, all rents are going to crash. Not really true. Usually what ends up crashing is the brand new properties because they were so crazy high based on input costs, new labor, construction, all of that stuff, finally getting the thing live. Their cost basis on a $3,000 unit, their cost basis might be 2,400. Well, my unit, my cost basis, I I can rent it for 2,000 and be ecstatic. So it's that rising tide lifting all boats. The challenge is people will trade out of A-class properties into B-class properties. B will trade to C. There will still be some upward movement of C into B, but largely it's going to be a trade out of A into B. And that's where you start seeing a lot of these larger multifamilies with all these YouTubers that post and say, hey, take a look at this. Rent reduced 300 bucks or 250 bucks. Yeah, because it was a new building or newer building that has a massive cost basis that they probably can't go any more than that. And the other thing too, is that they have to report their uh, their financials in a lot of cases quarterly. When they have to do that, they can show that they gave away a security deposit. So instead of a $25 security deposit, they did it for 99 bucks. Or they'll say, if you stay your full lease, we'll give you the last month's rent. That keeps the cash infusion. So what that does is, right, kick the can down the road. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with this debt because- all debts not created equal. All cities aren't created equal. All assets in the commercial straight space aren't created equally. And so, yeah, I wanted to at least put the bloodhound on the scent and say, I'm not really sure what's going to happen with some of this bigger stuff. Because like I said, there might be some buildings that are worth 80 million that were bought for 40 million three years ago. It's usually not that aggressive. It might be a 20% or 30% increase. And the issue is, is with how expensive rates are now, what that made that building worth 40 million a few years ago. Now with debt at seven, it's just the math equation. It means it's not worth 50 anymore. It means it's worth more like 32. Mm-hmm. And so right. then what do you do? Do you recapitalize? Cause those are your three options. Your three options are 
you write the bank a check to reduce the loan amount. So it hits the, it hits the numbers. Um, two is you sell, but now you're selling into a market where the rates are far more expensive or three is you got to find some other option to make that magic happen. So right. yeah, it's one of those things where as I was running through the numbers, I was like, I know exactly who needs to look at this. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, and see, I like it when I get these kind of things too, because what it does is I end up spending like the rest of the day kind of thinking about this and the cause and effects and where this is going to start yes. leading into, you know, one of the, the, one of the things that I follow a lot and you know, this is the Cantillon effect and Absolutely. what happens and what happens with this new money as it comes into the state. And when you know that the new money is reaching its peak, you can see what he explains it is, is that you can see it most obvious in the rents and leases on properties. Correct. And so, you know, when people say like, we're going to see the rents reduce or we're going to see properties crash and stuff like that. I mean, I'm not trying to deny saying that it's not going to happen. I just want to see the evidence of it. Sure. And when you go into Cantillon's theory and you think about the new money injections coming into the system, rents are going to be the obvious place to look. And you know, although we are finding places where they are coming down, I don't see this crashing, especially off of what you just said. Yeah. These people are going to try and make those things profitable. And the only way to really do it is to bring the revenue in. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think the other thing too is when, it, you know, the difference in residential as well is, you know, we really take care of our tenants and we want to make sure that, you know, certainly through tough times that we have high retention. You know, so we have over 90% retention with our tenants. And that's something that we're proud of because it means that we're doing the right thing by them and, and they want to stay because they believe that we add value and, and it's a good enough place to live. Um, and so the interesting thing and how that will kind of transpire over the course of the next 12 months is it's those, you're going to continue to see videos about, you know, rents down 10%, rents down 20%, but it's in the A-class properties, the much more expensive stuff where people are able to trade out and people recognize I can't give up my $900 a month car payment. Like I paid a thousand bucks for my car and they got a $900 a month payment. I'm just like, dear God, that is awful. Um, but yeah, I just look at it and it's like, but we're, I watched your video on um, the uh, car debt and, and auto debt. And it's like eight in the subprime market. It's like 18%. It's crazy the number of defaults. And I got a good friend of mine whose brother owns a repo company. He goes, you would not believe how out straight I am right now. He goes, I could add four more trucks tomorrow. Oh, and, wow. And it's just, and that's what he's seeing. And so the, the flood of used cars coming cheap, it's absolutely happening. But I think that's going to buoy up the kind of cars that you and I buy. You know, the thousand, two thousand dollar ones making them five thousand dollar ones because somebody's gonna have to do something. And let's face it, if you've defaulted on a car loan, you're gonna get a buy here, pay here type of loan at like 24%. Right. You're not getting a six percent debt or a three percent debt. So it's I, I love when you talk about you know rates and and money and and the cost of things because yeah, the next year there's a lot of things that are gonna adjust in ways that people just are not going to be able to afford even more than food and energy. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's really the thing about like, you know, when it comes to economics, a lot of people like we're focused in, we're like hyper-focused in on it. Like every <laughs> minute of the day, we're like, what's next, what's next, what's next. Sure. Most people don't pay attention to it. They just kind of yeah. catch some stuff like maybe in conversation with somebody else, or maybe catch a little bit on the news or something, but they really don't quite understand what it is that has taken place out there. And yeah, when we find that, that you know, the things shift 
like they are right now that people are just not aware of it. They've been so accustomed to things being the way they are that they just don't understand what's happening when they find these continually rising interest rates. I mean, I'm looking at my, like I went to go cash a check yesterday at the bank and I'm looking at a sheet that says, ask us about 5% savings. And I'm thinking, wow, man, that's a, <laughs> never seen that before at the bank ever, you know? And so it's like, what is it, 1988 uh, again? <laughs> right, you know, and so I'm thinking like, if you're 25 or even 30 years old, um, you that's never it. had a, had a chance to ever even think about having a savings, like at a bank, like, you know, to think like you can put money there and actually get some sort of little return off of it is not a concept that most people ever had. Yeah. And so even just something as simple as like a savings account, you know, it, it's like, it's a different environment, like, yes. you know, that, 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 are you, that we're in today. And, um, things are going to change dramatically, um, yeah. you know, as far as, as far as what's going to be out there. I think you're right. A lot of people are going to be, you know, focused in on food and energy. I think that's going to be a big deal, especially if incomes start to fall. Um, but, you know, when it comes to the rents and what I see out there as far as the availability of real estate, it seems that we are in a very tight box here where there is yeah. not a lot of room to move. Mm -hmm. um, you know, inventory levels, interest rates, the house prices, everything it just seems that it is very tightened up as far as where things can go, as far as volatility is. Um, the only thing that I would see changing that would be the unemployment rising. Yeah. yeah, agreed. I think what's going to be interesting to see is, you know, government largely runs things with a sledgehammer. And what we're looking for here is a scalpel. Well, yeah. I don't know. I don't know why we would expect them to have one of those. They never have had one of those in the past. So everything yeah. is just sledgehammer and then it's creating collateral damage. And so, you know, we're aware of it. You know, we're certainly watching it. I mean, thankfully my numbers, there isn't a whole lot of exposure there. So I have some debt that resets in 2024, but we've already run the numbers. And even if they're 7% or 8%, we're fine because they're, they're, they are lower cost assets that we've, but we've changed our strategy where we're paying those down more aggressively to give ourselves more of a cushion because we weren't just sitting there going, yeah, we'll just take higher and higher profits that's where some of these companies are going to run into it because they thought all along, let's just take all the higher profits, create another nest egg that we can actually put into another massive property. And now the challenge is going to be on that revaluation. They might have to take, if they've already spent that nest egg somewhere else, they're going to have to take a massive chunk of money or in the case of like um, real estate syndications, they're going to have to take a lot of that money and they're going to have to come back to their investors and say, we need a flu We need a cash injection. All right. And that's what we're kind of looking at. So yeah, like I said, I, I wanted to put the bloodhound on on the on the scent because no, I appreciate I it. I think you'll follow the debt, and I think you'll see that a lot of office space, deep trouble, and a lot of the multifamily stuff. Some of the multifamily stuff, but the fact that banks own forty percent of that debt, of that bit, you know, that four point three trillion, that's a big number. It is a very big number, yeah. And um, no, I do appreciate it because like I said, I mean, a lot of times, you know, I got to get this information and start processing it a little bit to kind of figure out what the cause and effects would might be, come up with some other theories on it. Um, you know, I got to get back to the work here in just a oh, little good, bit, but man, I would really love for you to uh, give a shout out to your channel and let the viewers know who you are and what you do, man. Appreciate it. Lumberjack Landlord, uh, We I talk about real estate, just my experiences every day. I'm a landlord, started at zero. I'm a ninth grade dropout, so not educated at all. Um, that's why I feel like I'm in good company with Simon, although he's a lot smarter than he acts like with the unachievable economist thing. I'm just like, I watch your stuff instead of economists, Simon. It's crazy. 
you know, so yeah, just, we, we love, we, we are passionate about helping out, uh, you know, helping out our tenants, affordable housing, um, and doing a lot of work that we do, but, um, we, we like people that want to experience financial freedom. So that's all. I just share my stories and hope it helps people. And, and it, you know, gives them courage to do things that they might not be comfortable with at the beginning, because at the end of the day, we want to try and create that generational wealth for our kids. Well, I certainly do appreciate you coming out here and sharing the information that you have with us. Sure. I also want to uh, share the video that you and Dion and Michael Zuber did yesterday. Um, you know, pretty much explaining the buy box, how mm -hmm. to figure out uh, whether or not your property is going to be a profitable one, comparing it to the average, you know, the average yield that these properties would do. That video was really good at explaining awesome. a lot of how that operates and how simple it really is. Yes. And that's really where I think like a lot of us get hung up. Those of us who are not into the real estate game yet, we we feel like it's too complicated for us to really understand. And we actually end up overcomplicating a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that we are looking at trying to think of whether or not this is a valuable property to buy or not. And what you guys were explaining yesterday was so simple. I mean, it, it just made it so simple to understand like whether or not this is a property to go for or not. And man, I, I, I totally appreciate you doing that video for me, man. Of course. Like, yeah, we want to, we want to see people be able to take control of their future. And it's not right for anybody. I always tell everybody I'm not in the convincing business, but if you want to do this, watch somebody who's made a thousand mistakes in 22 years and <laughs> learn from them. <laughs> right. I mean, we're all going to make mistakes, but it's nice to have somebody like they're going, Hey, there's a mistake right there. You might not. <laughs> you know? Yeah, <laughs> I know. I've made those thousand mistakes in 22 years, but now the business runs pretty well. It's pretty profitable. And, and it allows us quite frankly, to give back, to keep rents lower than market, you know, to do some of the things that we want to be able to do to help with affordable housing. So I appreciate the shout out. And like I said, we're always here when you're ready for us. All right, on, man. Well, I do appreciate it. And uh, look for that uh, video link down in the description as long as well as the link to Lumberjack Landlord's YouTube channel. Appreciate you go take it out, check out his channel and subscribe and like all his videos and show the love. <laughs> Thanks, Simon. I appreciate you, man. All right, Matthew. We'll talk to you later, bro. Take care. You too.